you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant. You know the deal. Still asking, socially distancing, all of that when and where necessary. And we're continuing on with our exit interviews. Me, Michael F. Florio, joining me. Florio, how are you feeling today, man? I'm feeling uh, better than expected when I woke up this morning. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get too into baseball, but the Mets just got Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, and I'm a big Mets fan. So I'm I'm pretty excited right now. I'm sure you are. I mean, this is look, it, it has been it has been a great couple of months for Mets fans, right? I mean, you get a new owner who's like obviously in, invested in trying to rebuild this thing and winning. Uh, then you go out and you get top talents like Carrasco and Francisco Lindor. So um, I feel like for the first time in a while, Florida, there's there's hope in Queens right now. Yeah. And, and 
people met fans were like tweeting steve cohen a little bit like when are you guys gonna make a move and he was kind of just getting a little snarky these last couple of days and i think it's because he's known that this is coming and he's like here it is the first big move of my era but marcus like my whole life all of my favorite teams have been bad the Mets <laughs> just got this trade the bills are the two seed in the afc and the knicks are over 500 i don't know what's going on right now Everything is coming up Millhouse right now. <laughs> All I'm going to say is that this is the biggest move in Queens since Prince Akeem showed up from Zamunda. Like, that's all I know. Uh, it's, it's that big of a deal. Uh, also alongside is uh, our producer, Stephen Vanny. And Steve, you were talking about, you guys were talking about uh, Matt Stafford and the Lions before uh, before we, we started this show today. And Look, I have no idea exactly what what Stafford's future is going to be. We'll talk about that a little bit later on mm-hmm. in the show. But, I mean, let's say we have seen the last of Stafford in a Lions uniform. You as a Lions fan, how do you feel about that? What's his legacy? I mean, what, what, are, you, what are you guys feeling at the moment? Man, losing Matt Stafford with not one playoff win to his name would be a tough pill to swallow. However, I think we're at a point now with the Lions that – we just want to see the guy win something. And even if it's in a different color Jersey, uh, I think we, we'd be okay with it. Like, cause it's going to be a minute or two before the lions are anywhere near where the green Bay Packers are. So, you know, it, it's a, it's a disappointing era. Uh, you know, we like to smile because it happened though. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, look, Stafford has given you some good years. Uh, even if the, the win loss record hasn't been great, you know that that guy generally is going to be there game in and game out. He's going to give you a full effort. Um, he has battled through some stuff with this franchise. So uh, as somebody who is an impartial observer, it would be nice to see him go somewhere and be successful. Um, you know. Once upon a time, Marcus, I was at that Cleveland Browns game, the one the NFL films one where he gets hurt and he comes mm. back last second throws that touchdown so he became a hero that day um and i think at this point yeah now now we're ready to see maybe in new england or maybe a san francisco jersey on on stafford we'll see where he goes oh we will definitely we'll see we'll see uh yeah we'll, we'll, like I said, we're gonna talk about that a little bit later on in the show so uh appreciate that steve um so let's get back into it though flora we, we did our exit interviews on tuesday we started with the the four worst teams the teams that in theory have the first four picks although the Houston Texans have traded their number three pick away. Um, so let's start with who has the number five pick, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals. They were 4-11-1 this past year. Uh, you know, they they came into the season with Joe Burrow as the number one overall pick, played fairly well, then he got hurt, ended up missing a good chunk of the season. And, you know, the win-loss record, obviously not good. But fantasy-wise, what did you see from this team that that was impressive or at least encouraging to you this year? Yeah, I think that what we saw of Joe Burrow early in the year, like I know the touchdowns really weren't there for him, uh, but he was consistently for a stretch giving us over 300 yards per game. And and just watching Joe Burrow, he didn't look overmatched. Like, yeah, I understand against the Ravens and, and Steelers he struggled, but he's a rookie going up against some very tough defenses. And he played well in a year where rookies didn't have a preseason like normal. Like his first NFL game was his first real snaps of NFL football. So to see him play that well, and not just Joe Burrow, like to see their other highly drafted rookie and T Higgins play as well as he did. And really to me, I think T Higgins looks like he can be a future wide receiver one in this league uh, for fantasy purposes too. Like he was playing extremely well before Joe Burrow went down. So, and, and Tyler Boyd as well. I think their offense uh, showed a lot of potential for years to come. And the fact then that Burrow got hurt and they get this high draft pick, 
to me, that just means that they could solidify that offensive line even more. So uh, I, I feel pretty good about this offense going into 2021. I think Burrow and Higgins were definitely the highlights there. And there are pieces with this wide receiver group. I mean, you know, we can't forget Tyler Boyd and what he did uh, all year long. I mean, I don't know. Is is John is the John Ross experiment over? Is that done? <laughs> I think so. Like he was someone that in best ball drafts this year, Marcus, I was drafting because I thought he was going to be out there a good amount just as a field stretcher because AJ Green isn't really that anymore. Tyler Boyd never has been that. And then by like, once T. Higgins ascended, starting in week three, it was like John Ross was a healthy scratch most weeks. Like if that doesn't tell you that the John Ross era is over, I don't know what really can. I, I feel like the the story that sort of encapsulates John Ross is certainly his 2020, but maybe his time with the Bengals is that at some point they moved him to cornerback because they were shorthanded there and they tried <laughs> to work him out there and he immediately got hurt. Uh, I think he was out for the year at that point. So that that to me sort of sums up. Uh, the John Ross experience there. Um, so I guess that that easily transitions us into the things that were bad. What what does need to improve for the Bengals next year? I think their O-line needs to improve. I think for real life purposes, their defense. But for fantasy, I mean, keep a bad defense at least <laughs> throwing more. Uh, I would I would like to see them, though, upgrade their O-line. And I think A.J. Green's time is done there as well. So if Green and Ross are gone, I think you need to upgrade the wide receiver depth there. But I think they're fine with Boyd and Higgins as their top two. I just would like to see a little bit more. And even Auden Tate as the three. I just want to see some depth behind those guys. Uh, but I think this offense, you know, they they have the pieces they need to be a good fantasy offense. The the thing I said, I think, and I'm not alone in this, was you talk about that offensive line. And my fear, even before Joe Burrow got hurt last year, was that this has the potential makings of an Andrew Luck 2.0, where you have this really talented young quarterback You've got some decent weapons around him, but you don't have an offensive line to protect him. And then obviously Burrow suffers the knee injury. And if that wasn't a wake up call to the Bengals front office, that they really do have to go out and find some protection for their their franchise centerpiece, uh, then I, I don't know what is going to kind of get them headed in that direction. So I would expect that this is going to be a big deal for them. Um, you know, I know there was talk of them maybe drafting Panay Sewell. I don't know if that's going to happen, if he's going to last till five or if they have to try to move up maybe to get him. But uh, that could go somewhere in, in terms of trying to kind of help them with this offensive line situation. But that is, uh, I would agree, I think the biggest key uh, for them in, in this year. So we, we talk about the wide receivers. We talk about the quarterback. The big glaring question mark to me in this offense is the running back situation. And Joe Mixon was a guy that was drafted highly in a lot of leagues. I thought he had the chance to really have a, a big season based on how he finished 2019. Um, that didn't really happen. He was sort of mediocre when he played and then missed a lot of the season with injury on top of that. What do we do with him next year in terms of you know, where we're valuing him in, in fantasy drafts? Yeah, for me, he is going to be one of these players that it it solely comes down to his draft cost because Joe Mixon, for some reason, is a player that fantasy the fantasy community just loves to hype up. And there's people out there who will still say, like, oh, he is a top five talented running back. And I say it a lot on this show, Marcus. Like, I'm not really as – like, talent matters, yes. I, I'm not going to say it doesn't, but – I think a mistake people make is when they get too enamored and being like, this guy is so talented, it's easily going to lead to fantasy production. We just haven't really seen enough, in my opinion, 
out of Joe Mixon to make him a first round pick again this year. So if he's going in like the first or first half of the second round, that is going to be too high for me to of, of a price to pay. But I think where I start to come interested in Joe Mixon is the late second, early third round, because uh, when he was healthy last year, he still was getting 20 touches a game. And that is big time volume. And if they do improve that offensive line and Joe Burrow has another year to get comfortable and get acclimated in this offense, I think that can help him. But I I can't do this anymore of taking Mixon as like a RB1. I just can't do it. And I think, you know, the the key in what you said to me was the part about talent versus opportunity and that you can be all you can have all the talent in the world. But if you're not getting that opportunity, if you're not getting that chance to be on the field and get the ball in your hands, it really doesn't matter. And we could probably if we put our heads together, come up with a long list of players uh, to whom that applies. Uh, and, And I think I think Joe Mixon has become one of those guys, you know, He's getting the ball a lot. That's great, but not in great situations. Maybe if the offensive line gets better, it, it helps him a whole lot. I'm sort of with you. If he's still there late second round, definitely early third, I would probably consider it. Um, yeah, we'll see what the hype is, whether or not people have sort of cooled on him a little bit over the past couple of years, and whether or not the uh, the situation in Cincinnati changes a lot around him, because I think that's going to impact how we feel about him Um but I don't know, part of, me, part of me wouldn't be surprised if we see people taking him early second round. If he's coming off the board at like pick 14 or 15, I somehow just don't think I'll be surprised. I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying. But, but it just People just can't me. quit him for some reason. Every year you get the Joe Mixon hype. It's because you know what happens is because we'll see a couple of plays or two or he'll break off a couple of runs and you're like, this guy, like this is the guy, like this is this is why, you know, we want to go out and, and, and pick up, you know, shares of him and have him on our roster. Um, and then you look at the end of the day and it's like, you know, 18 carries for like 51 yards. And you're like, ah, you know, it's just frustrating. But don't worry, Marcus, he'll have that blow up three touchdown, 40 point game. That'll skew his numbers. And everyone will say, look, it wasn't as bad as it, as it's been. And we're back, baby. And we're back. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Let's, let's turn our attention to the Eagles who also had a four 11 and one record. They finished number six. We could probably spend an hour on why they finished at the number six spot as opposed to potentially the number nine draft pick and all that. Whatever, man. Like, I'm not I'm not doing that. But uh, it was definitely, I would say, a disappointing year. I think people had higher expectations for the Eagles. Um, You know, they were part of that that NFC East cluster that we all sort of like to point and laugh at all year long. Um, but in the end, they were still, you know, they weren't really eliminated from contention until late, late in the season, despite just having four wins. So this might be a little bit of a deeper dive, but what was good for this offense in 2020? Not a whole lot at all. Like Zach Ertz was a disappointment. Jalen Rager, disappointment. All of their wide receivers were a disappointment. Their, their quarterback play for Carson Wentz was a disappointment. Even Miles Sanders didn't live up to expectations, in my opinion. So I think across the board, maybe you can make the case for Dallas Goddard. I think the lone bright spot this season was Jalen Hurts. The fact that uh, he showed, at least in the small sample size, the three and three quarters or whatever you want to say that he was given. Uh, he played well, and and he showed the one thing that I at least cared about for fantasy because I'm not really interested in uh, – in saying like, oh, he can make it as an NFL quarterback. All I know is that if he comes into next season as the Eagles starter, I am going to be interested for him in fantasy because <laughs> he showed us that he can run like Lamar Jackson and 
He could, in his first game ran for over 100 yards and then was consistently giving us over 60. That is what I care about for fantasy. So I'll say he was the lone uh, bright spot from this offense this year. I mean, I'm willing to throw in the the month of Travis Fulgham that we had. Uh, you know, I mean, there were four weeks there where where we were like, what happened to him? I don't know. That's that's the thing. It's not like he got hurt. Um, I mean, I guess they had a guy or two come back, but it wasn't like they were. You know, they weren't bringing back you know, all pro kind of guys. They weren't, you know, it wasn't like suddenly, you know, it wasn't like Atlanta, right? Where Russell Gage has a week and then Julio, Julio Jones comes back and you're like, okay, well that's over now. Like it wasn't that. I don't, I don't know why Travis Fulgham suddenly fell into a black hole and we just never heard from him again. I, I can't figure it out, but there was a month in there where he legitimately was fantasy relevant and he was rosterable and he was productive. And then that just suddenly went away. I'm looking at it right now, right? He week five he had 152 yards and a touchdown week six, uh, six for 75 and a touchdown week seven, five for 73 week eight, six for 78 and a touchdown. And then after that, he never had more than 30 yards in a game for the rest of the season. And I can't, I can't put my finger on exactly what happened or why it went wrong. It makes no sense because it would have made sense to me if like, all right, it came with the QB switch. Like maybe Jalen Hurts just doesn't have that. But that didn't. It happened with Carson Wentz. It started. And then it wasn't like it happened when Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson returned because those guys did nothing. Like I, I, the only thing that maybe makes sense is like Zach Ertz did come back during that span. But even Zach Ertz wasn't putting up big numbers and getting a whole bunch of targets. I have... No idea how to explain what happened to Travis Fulgham. And it was so sad because I thought he was going to be a league winner this year. I did too. I mean, at some point it looked like he was going to be the guy that you could sort of lean on and ride in that Philly passing game. In the end, uh, the guy who ended up leading the team in catches was Greg Ward again. <laughs> like, two years in a row where Greg Ward is kind of a thing in the offense, but like he's a thing in the Eagles offense, but not enough of a thing that you feel comfortable putting on your roster or uh, definitely putting in your starting lineup on a regular basis. So because we had so many problems finding what was good, I would imagine it'd be a lot easier if we, do we have enough time to talk about all the things that need to improve from last year? I feel like that's, that's a pretty long list. Yeah, I think, and I, I don't want to give like Doug Peterson a pass here either. I know he won the Super Bowl, but like since Frank Reich left, this offense has not been the same. And this year, I think it really showed, how much of a step back they've taken from that Super Bowl season a couple years ago. They need to improve the O-line, I think. Uh, Quarterback, they need to pick one, right? Like, they can't – I don't think they can go into 2021 with Wentz and Hurts on the roster. I think you need to pick one and commit to that player. Um, I I, Yeah, like, I want to see more Jalen Rager next year. I want to see – it sounds like Zach Ertz is going to leave, so maybe we can get Dallas Goddard being a consistent, you know, top 10, maybe even top five tight end, but – there's a lot of question marks with this offense right now and, and a lot that I think needs to change. So many things. I mean, you know, I was worried about Zach Ertz coming into the season just because we, we talked about how much the Eagles run 12 personnel and how much Dallas Goddard could possibly eat into his production. Obviously, the injuries didn't help as well. Jalen Rager never really got going, and I know he had some injury issues early in the season that sort of slowed him down. But maybe the biggest drag on this whole thing was the quarterback play. I mean, the fact that Carson Wentz was a massive disappointment this year. And look, I, I came into the season thinking he had some kind of sleeper potential, right? That if that if everything sort of worked, if he could stay healthy, if the wide receivers stayed healthy, um, that that he could possibly be a top 10, top eight quarterback. 
none of that happened uh, at all. I mean, Wentz, Wentz played poorly. You know, the, the wide receivers couldn't stay healthy for the most part. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens in terms of reconstructing or rebuilding or reloading with this offense. And then, you know, you mentioned earlier Miles Sanders, who was frustrating in the sense that, you know, I mean, it just never seemed like it never seemed like the Eagles really wanted to commit to him. And that was a thing that we had heard, you know, in the preseason was Doug Peterson saying, you know, he's our guy. He's going to be a workhorse. We want to get him the ball. But it just didn't seem like the reality really matched up to that. And and that was the frustrating part, because I know that he's one of those guys when we see him get the ball, you know, 20 times in a game, generally good things happen. And it just seemed like the Eagles consistently couldn't make that happen for him. Um, they, they brought back Jordan Howard and, and gave him <laughs> a good amount of snaps. Like, that's just all you need to know. <laughs> so, okay, so then I, so let's, so let's run it back though. Cause you know, you talked about how you're not, you're not going to buy into any Joe Mixon hype uh, next year. Right. If, if the, the hype train pulls into the station uh, in front of your apartment with, uh, you know, with, with, with Miles Sanders hype blaring from the speakers, do you buy a ticket next year? So, so is that like you and Rank just coming we're by just, my you know, apartment? Yeah, we're just like going to come by and we're going like to honk the horn and yell and stuff and talk about Miles Sanders. Like, do you run outside and like jump in with us or do you just like scream to tell us to go away? What do you, what happens? On Miles Sanders, I would run in and jump in with you guys if Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback because <laughs> – I could see them running the option really well there, and and we saw it at times. It was frustrating because, like, he had a great game against the Saints who don't allow points to running backs, and then the next week flopped again. But I, I would imagine that with a running quarterback getting to run the option uh, with Sanders would only help him. But if it's Wentz again, I'm not sure if I can do this with Doug Peterson because coming into this year, we were all saying, like, it's different this year. Like, he has Miles Sanders now. He used high draft capital for him. Miles Sanders took over the job in the second half of 2019 season. It's different this year. And it really wasn't. It was different in some weeks. But then uh, there was a week where they re-signed Jordan Howard after he was <laughs> cut by the Dolphins and gave him, I believe it was something like a quarter of the snaps or something like that. So uh, it, it's just frustrating. So if it's Carson Wentz, I think I'll be a lot lower on Miles Sanders. But if it's Jalen Hurts, I can see myself getting sucked back in just because of – the upside that he would have in that offense. I, I think it's going to happen again, too. I, I think we're going to be, I, no, I do. I think we're going to be talking about Miles Sanders, uh, you know, probably second round, mid second round, something like that. And and everybody's going to buy it back in. And I, look, I, I hope it happens. I mean, I, I think he's a fun player to watch. I think he's talented again, talent versus opportunity. I think he's incredibly <laughs> talented. The question is, will the Eagles give him that opportunity to go out and be the guy that, that we think he can be. So, I obviously I know how you feel about Jalen Hurts. The question then becomes how high does he go in drafts next season? Is is he going to be drafted as a top 10 quarterback next year? So I have him ranked uh, on that borderline of like he's in that like 10, 11, 12 tier. I have him with like Taysom Hill if he is the starter uh, like I am expecting and then Ryan Tannehill. Um, but in a draft, I, I, I'm in a way too early 2021 draft that I joined just for – you know, to see where players are going, there was a big quarterback run in like rounds five and six. And I took Jalen Hurts at the last pick of round seven uh, after like Herbert and Russ and all those players, because I was like, of the quarterbacks left, I think he has the upside to be a difference maker. And I don't want to miss out on one of those types of quarterbacks. But then looking at it, like you had Ryan Tannehill and Taysom Hill go in round 11. And if that's going to be the ADP next year, I think I'll just wait on those guys. But 
So I'm somewhere in the middle right now with Jalen Hurts because I'm somewhere in the like he has the upside to be a league winner and to be like 2021's version of Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson because of what he can do with his legs. But on the other side, it's like fantasy players are wising up to these types of quarterbacks and they're going earlier and earlier. And you may be able to get a big discount on a still unproven quarterback. So I'm somewhere still kind of trying to figure out exactly where I land on Jalen Hurts. But I do have him ranked as a QB one. I think for me, what is, I don't know the word, not confusing or, or uh, the thing I want to see most from Jalen Hurts is you know, what kind of work he's doing in the offseason to improve his, his situation as a passer. Because I think that was the thing we sort of learned over the last couple of weeks is that we know he can run effectively with the football. We saw him do that. Um, can he be a better passer? Because uh, I will say this in terms of, it, you, know, you mentioned Taysom Hill as a guy that's ranked sort of near him. I think that Jalen Hurts is, is right now a more developed passer than Taysom Hill is. They're both, I think, very effective running the football. One is a slightly more advanced passer. And if, if Hurts can take another step forward there, uh, I think that's going to go a long way toward improving his draft stock. Um, the other part of it is the Eagles still have to figure out their wide receiver group. Uh, you know, like I, I, I can't imagine they come back another year with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson on the roster. Uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is proving to not be the guy that they thought he would look I, I will say this. Two years ago when they, got, when they drafted him, I waved the flag for him as a deep sleeper, mostly because I think I was, you know, I, I just had visions in my head of him mossing smaller USC cornerbacks when he was at Stanford. Um, that didn't happen. And, you know, this year I, I thought about trying to go back on board with that. I decided against it, um, you know. But they need somebody to help out, right? Jalen Rager needs to step up. Uh, I don't know if you want Greg Ward or Travis Fulgham to be those guys, but they have to do some things. So I would, I, I'm kind of with you. I think right now he's a fringe quarterback one, but depending on what the Eagles do this offseason, I'm willing to kind of to move that up and, and make some adjustments to that uh, when we get by the time we get to you know July or August or something like that. All right. So we talked about the Lions a little bit with Steve uh, at the top of the show. The Lions uh, finish at 5-11. and 11. They have the number seven pick right now. And it, it just seemed to be kind of a Lions-y season, right? Like, you know, they, there were some, some moments there where you're like, hey, there's some things that are kind of worth watching. Then there's some moments here where you're like, this is really bad, and why am I watching any of this? Uh, <laughs> and in the end, they ended up, you know, finishing at the bottom of the NFC North. They're picking in the top ten once again. It just, you know, it, it's Groundhog Day in Detroit, it feels like. Um, but let's let's start with the positive. What was good from the Lions in 2020? I think uh, this is a pretty easy team to. They had two good things happen for at least on offense in 2020. DeAndre Swift being one of them. Like DeAndre Swift, in my opinion, showed that he is a RB. He has RB one potential in fantasy, and he is very much so an RB one in real life. Like they found their lead back. I think no questions asked. He showed that he could do it in the passing game. He showed that he can be a goal line runner. Uh, he just. I think everything they asked of him to do. He passed. And the only thing that was frustrating about DeAndre Swift this year is how much they used Adrian Peterson and carry on Johnson. Um, and I think the other bright spot was TJ Hawkinson. He finished as the tight end three this year. He was third in receiving yards. And even more so than that, he was the one thing that not a lot of tight ends are. And that is consistent. Like you would the second half of the year, I, I would in a league I had him in. I didn't even consider other tight ends because I was like, this guy is going to give me 10, 12, 13 fantasy points. And if I can get that out of my tight end, 
I'm going to be so much happier than trying to stream someone off the waiver wire who could potentially outscore Hawkinson, but also very well may give me two fantasy points. So for me, those were the two bright spots of 2020 and the two that I feel good about going forward. I think the Hawkinson thing, too, is is kind of underrated because I think what what ended up happening is we got to a point in the season where the the tight end narrative was just it sucks. Like unless you have basically it was like unless you have Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller, it sucks. And that sort of ignored the fact that TJ Hawkinson was putting together a, a very quietly a very good season. And I think also some of it is that we we do have to sort of recalibrate what we think of as good tight end production, right? We we can't one, I think we can't use Travis Kelsey as the benchmark. Like I just don't think that's fair, right? If we if we're if we're using Kelsey or a healthy George Kittle or Darren Waller, if we're using them as the benchmarks for what we consider to be acceptable fantasy tight end play, then we're going to be perpetually disappointed. Um and so I think you know, you talk about Hawkinson kind of having that steady, you know, 13 to 15 points every single week. That's pretty good. And I think that's sort of kind of where we want to land with our tight ends. And so because we kind of you know went on the whole tight end sucks, it's a wasteland, I want to get my guy early, I think that sort of ignored what Hawkinson put together late in the year. And look, here's the thing. We sort of loved Robert Tanyan, but it was kind of up and down with Tanyan. He had some he had some big smash games. He also had some games where he really kind of left you hanging with nearly nothing to show for. I mean, you, you talk about those two-point games. Tanyan had a couple of those. So to know you could roll Hawkinson out in that lineup and feel pretty good about getting double digit points that, you know, you, you were going to get probably a weekly tight end one finish. Um, even if at worst, it was like 11 or 12. I think that's something worth talking about. And then, and then Swift, obviously uh, it was nice when they finally figured it out uh, late in the year. I, one of my favorite parts of the year was the lions saying, Hey, we're going to make Deandre Swift, our number one running back and make him the workhorse. And Adrian Peterson was like, <laughs> about time, you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's, about, it's about time. What took you so long? Should have happened weeks ago. Uh, it was nice to see that we were all, you know, as a football community, sort of on the same page uh, about that one there. Um, all right, on the flip side, what needs to get better for the Lions heading into 2021? Everything else other than Swift and Hawkinson. <laughs> um, I like because Kenny Galladay is a free agent this year. I, I really like Marvin Jones, uh, like as a best ball pick in fantasy, but. He's pretty inconsistent in a real life aspect. So I think they need to first they need to figure out what they're doing with quarterback. They they need to do a whole lot, right? Like GM, coach, quarterback, like it, it's just everything from the ground up, it feels like has to change in Detroit. And uh sorry, Steve. Uh I feel like they're about to <laughs> enter a pretty big rebuild here, especially if they move on from Stafford. Uh I'm truly wondering though, like if they move on from Stafford, I am assuming Kenny Galladay is going to leave. I have no idea what this offense may look like. It, it could be like a, a pretty boring veteran quarterback starting for them with like Marvin Jones as their wide receiver one. Like that to me would be a fantasy nightmare. That Yeah, it, it's the weird thing about about this season. One of the weird things about this season was the whole Kenny Galladay saga where he had the injury and the Lions wouldn't put him on IR uh, they, they kept sort of stringing him along and stringing us along about, you know, was he going to play? Is he going to practice? And it never happened. And I don't, I, for the life of me, don't understand what, what was going on with that. Um, they never put him on the IR ever, right? They never did. No, they never did. They just, they just sort of, you know, said he's, you know, he's questionable or he's doubtful this week. Uh, he's not practicing. It just, it was a weird 
it was a weird tug of war they had with themselves for no real reason. I don't I don't quite get that. Um, but there's so many things about this year that that's sort of we're just baffling about the Lions. And you're right. They're they're in, I think, going to have to start a really big undertaking of sort of overhauling this team. Uh, I don't know where to start with it. So actually, here's the thing. Maybe this is where we start. How much of what happens next year hinges on whether or not Matt Stafford is there? I feel like it all sort of, you know, once they figure out the GM and the coach, is, is it really about what happens at the quarterback position? Then they can sort of build outward from there. I think so, because first of all, quarterback is the most important position in all of sports, I think. So I think it always like all of your decisions as a football team kind of start at the quarterback position. But also like Matt Stafford, at least in my opinion, is an above average quarterback, even though I know he hasn't had a whole lot of wins, like win success with Detroit. Like he's still kept that offensive float and kept this team afloat, in my opinion. I think if you move on from Stafford like one, who are you bringing in to replace him? And two, if it's like a boring veteran or a, a like a maybe they draft a, a quarterback this year, but if not, like I would imagine that they enter twenty twenty one as the favorite to get the top pick next year if their quarterback is not Matt Stafford or a top rookie. I, that that probably is the case, and I'm trying to think. So, I mean, so I, I'm looking at a couple of mock drafts. I see I see Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, possibly being being a guy that that goes there. I could see that. Um, you know, I guess if they decide to to go the free agency route, you're talking about a guy that is a stop. That's literally a bridge quarterback yeah. for a year or two. Uh, if there's somebody, maybe it's somebody you don't you don't like anybody in the draft, or there's somebody you're looking ahead that you feel like you might look like a little bit better. Um, maybe that's a possibility, but this is a really big undertaking. And I feel like for fantasy, how we value a lot of the other players around this offense is going to be impacted by who the quarterback is. I mean, maybe look, I would think that, you know, sort of like you with, with Miles Sanders, I don't know, uh, is, is DeAndre Swift, the guy, you know, is, do you feel like he's quarterback proof? Will you like the DeAndre Swift, regardless of who the quarterback is next year in Detroit? Probably. Um, because I think DeAndre Swift is is a true is a really talented running back. I think I, I love that he can catch passes out of the backfield. Um, because I'm a big believer that that you need to be versatile, unless you could be like a Derrick Henry or something like that, where you can make up for the fact that you don't catch passes. <laughs> Otherwise, those running backs to me that don't really catch a whole lot of passes are more uh, RB twos because they just don't have that floor or ceiling that the catches really uh, inflate. So I, I think the fact that he was already top 10 in catch, catches per game amongst running backs this year is a huge sign, especially if this is a team that is going to be playing from behind a lot because it kind of showed us that they won't phase him out even if they're trailing. But yeah, if they're coming into next year with like, uh, I'm trying to think of like who a veteran stopgap quarterback could be that they could bring <laughs> in. But like, let's say like the Niners move on from Jimmy G. I think that he'll be fine there. But if it's someone like like the Bears approach this past year with like a Nick Foles, then I'm going to like him a little bit less because I think that is obvious a, a downgrade. Um, but I still can see myself being a DeAndre Swift supporter regardless of who the quarterback is. I'm trying to pull up some some potential free agent quarterbacks. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens with Philip Rivers if he comes back. Uh, you know, Trubisky may be out there. He could be a free agent potentially. Uh, you know, 
Fitzmagic maybe showing up in uh, that in would Detroit. be a fun one. Fitzmagic in Detroit actually would be kind of fun. Uh, he might take him to the playoffs. Who knows? He might take him to the playoffs. They might win two games. Like there's a whole <laughs> range of outcomes with Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback. That would be a lot of fun though. Um, all right. So our, our last one for this episode is the Carolina Panthers, five and eleven. Uh, they were the num- They have the number eight pick uh, after their season. Um, you know it. It was. I don't even know how to describe the Panther season. It was just sort of there. Um, you know, it just it just sort of was there. It was a thing that happened. We all kind of experienced it collectively. Uh, I don't really know what else to say about it beyond that. What did you think about it was good in 2020? I think the fact that their offense, even after losing Christian McCaffrey, was still able to give us some fantasy reliant players was a good sign. Um, but I do think that that the Panthers are in the worst place you could kind of be in football, which is where you have a good enough quarterback to lose with, and that's what I think <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater is. Like, I think he will keep you competitive. He will have you being a mediocre football team. Do I think that Teddy Bridgewater can lead this team to the playoffs or the Super Bowl? Me personally, no. I mean, this is a guy whose career – he threw his career high in passing touchdowns this year. He was still under 20. Uh, he's never thrown for 4,000 yards. Like, he just doesn't seem like that quarterback that could take you to the next level. But I do think he's a good enough quarterback where, like, you could convince yourself, all right, next year with our receivers and with a healthy Christian McCaffrey we could, and we improve our defense a little bit, we could make a run here. But for me, I think also one of the big things about the Panthers this year, Marcus, was, like, you look at where their wide receivers finished – Robbie Anderson was wide receiver 15, DJ Moore was 23, and Curtis Samuel was 26. And there was no consistency with those three (laughs) at all. So it was a guessing game all year. It was very frustrating, this team, for fantasy, I think. The way you you talked about Teddy Bridgewater, and I don't think you're wrong about it. it, the, The first thing that came to mind was an old quote from Bill Walsh. Talking about Steve DeBerg, who who was the Niners starting quarterback before Joe Montana. And Walsh said about DeBerg, he's just good enough to get you beat. And that's sort of, I think, kind of where we are with Teddy. Teddy's not gonna go out there. He's not gonna, he's not gonna vomit on his shoes. He's not going to, you know, have these terribly embarrassing, awful games where you're like, you gotta pull him, you gotta put somebody else in. But he's also not the guy that if you need him to rally you and get you a win. You know, I don't know if you feel 100% confident that that's going to happen with, with Teddy. Um, I would say that for me, seeing Robbie Anderson sort of blossom, at least early in the year, was kind of a bright spot, although he did kind of fade in the, the back half of the season. As you mentioned, you know, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel starting to get some more run. I guess we had those you know, two or three weeks of Mike Davis uh, as a thing that were sort of nice. But again, uh, back part of the season. Um, he got to the point where a lot of us felt like he was droppable because he just wasn't producing on any kind of level that you felt confident in having him in your lineup. So like I said, it, it was a season for the Panthers that just kind of was. And I don't know if, if really if, if Christian McCaffrey really means that much to this team or if it, you know, would they have been a five and 11 team? You know, maybe they're maybe they're seven and nine with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, as opposed to not as opposed to without him. I don't I don't know. We'll never know. Some parallel universe might might have that answer for us if we could figure it out. Um, so that being said, what what needs to improve? If everything was just kind of meh, it feels like there's a lot of things that maybe could get better. Or is everything just kind of, you know, oatmeal right now? I think it's like on offense, at least. I think it's kind of oatmeal because <laughs> like Curtis Samuel's a free agent. Let's say he leaves. I think that helps more and Robbie Anderson become more consistent for fantasy. Christian McCaffrey, though, is going to come back 
And like, yes, Mike Davis had 70 targets this year, but Christian, a healthy Christian McCaffrey over 16 games, probably going to get over 100 once again. So he's going to get more volume his way. I, I think this is going to be an offense next year that I'm going to 100% be back in on Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I'm not going to have any interest in Teddy Bridgewater at all, even in two quarterback leagues, because he is safe, but he doesn't come with, I feel, really any upside at all. I'd rather chase the upside quarterbacks there because at least – if one of those upside guys hit, I have a chance of winning my league. Where Even though in my biggest Superflex league this year, the, the winner had Teddy Bridgewater on their roster, um, I just don't think he is a great second. He's a safe one, but not a really high upside. And then the receivers, I can already feel it now, Marcus. Everyone is going to get stuck <laughs> back into DJ Moore, and they're going to price him too high, and I'm not going to be interested. So, I mean, that was, that was my next question is, like, which of those guys, and let's, let's just say for the sake of argument, Curtis Samuel re-signs there in, in Carolina, right? So they've got Anderson, Moore, and, and Curtis Samuel. Which one of those guys do you most have interest in? I know, you know, I know, I know that some of it is about where they're available, but, you know, which one of those guys, all things being equal, would you most pull the trigger on? Probably Robbie Anderson, because I just feel like he is going to get the least amount of hype. Like, again, fantasy community loves DJ Moore, and all year we hear how talented he is and how he and every time he has a big game, you would see the DJ Moore supporters coming out. And I would sit there being like, but he scored single digits in three of his last four games or something like that. So like, but and then Curtis Samuel, he also comes with some hype because like, he he can get used out of the backfield at times. And, and I know a lot of people, again, believe in his talent. But Robbie Anderson is a player that I think is also very talented in his own right. Uh, and, and also, he is the field stretcher and the downfield weapon there. So he doesn't need as much volume to rack up uh, fantasy points as those other two. And he was the cheapest of the three in drafts in 2020. Uh, and a lot of drafts was going undrafted or super late. And I would not be surprised if he goes in the double-digit rounds again because – People hype up more and Samuel and McCaffrey and say like, oh, he's just a field stretcher or a best ball pick or something like that. The first five weeks for Robbie Anderson were really great. Weeks six and seven were just OK. And then after that, it was you know less than great with a couple of flashes here and there. Um, but I do feel like he was a he was a better fit for the Panthers offense than I thought he was going to be. And, and I credit some of that to you know what they were doing down there and 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 the way they sort of schemed that offense and got him to, to kind of work in there and shout out to, to Joe Brady for kind of making that happen. Because my, my argument against him had been, he's a field stretcher on a team with a quarterback, not knowing for throwing the ball deep, but they made it work. And so maybe that's reason enough to kind of get back in on Robbie Anderson. I feel like that finish though, the fact that he finished as a top 15 wide receiver uh, or top what 20 wide receiver, depending on where you're looking, it, it was a little bit misleading because he started so fast. Um, and so I think, I think if we sort of take the balance of it, um, I think I would much rather have him as maybe my third wide receiver, maybe a low end wide receiver too at best. Um, and so we'll see where the hype is with these guys coming, coming in the next year. But I do, I, you know, I, I sort of changed my mind on Robbie Anderson uh, as the season went along. Uh, so, uh, all right. So that takes us through the top eight. We will have four more for you on Tuesday. 
uh, and then four more on Thursday. I mean, you know how this works. You, you can do the math. Um, but there are playoff games coming up this weekend. Uh, we have Super Wild Card Weekend, where we get three games apiece on Saturday and Sunday. So that means it's a pretty decent DFS slate uh, for everybody out there who is interested in playing. And by the way, uh, I guess a little bit of shameless self-promotion to be a company man here. Uh, if you haven't played the playoff challenge, you can do that as well. You can go to... Uh, uh, NFL.com slash playoff challenge. I should actually confirm that. Uh, now that I'm saying it out loud, let me uh, let me type it in here to my search bar uh, and make sure that works before I give you all faulty information. Um, no. Ha. See, I'm glad I said that. I'm glad I checked this out. Uh, we go to playoffchallenge.fantasy.nfl.com. I know that's a mouthful, but um, you can always rewind this and, and listen to me say it again. Uh, go play the playoff challenge. You can set up uh, your team. You can play in a league with some other friends or a bunch of random people you've never met in your life. Uh, pick your best team. You get multipliers along the way. So every week that you have a player on your roster uh, and that player's team advances, you can get double, triple, even four times the points. Uh, so go check it out. It's a whole lot of fun. Play with your friends, you know, in case you still can't you know, get enough of fantasy football. It's a way to do it. But uh, for those of you who have the – uh, the DFS itch who want to do the DraftKings thing. Florio and I put together our preferred weekend slate. Uh, you guys can mix and match as you see appropriate. So uh, I will cede the floor to you. How did you build your lineup for this week? So I I started with Lamar Jackson because the Tennessee Titans allow a lot of rushing yards this season. And my thinking was, all right, like, Lamar has been this offense as of late. He's been running once again really well, like we we like to see. And he's he's just since he's returned, he has just looks like last year's Lamar Jackson as the MVP form. So I understand he is the most expensive um, quarterback on the slate, but I still think that that he is worth getting in there. And then I took uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, as my RB one. I'm a sucker for Jonathan Taylor. If you haven't seen that already, uh, but. I just I'm a big fan of his talent. He's coming off the one of the best games a Colts running back has ever had. He was a top six fantasy running back this year. And the Bills weakness is against the run more so than it is against the pass. So I went uh, in that direction with him. Then my wide, uh, my second running back is Kareem Hunt, Marcus, just because at 4,800, I feel like that's a really good value. Like Kareem Hunt, I, I understand he's a little bit volatile, but. At that price, he could catch a couple passes, find the end zone, especially if the Browns are trailing against the Steelers. And my wide receiving core, a little bit cheaper, guys. DK Metcalf at 6,700. He is cheaper than Tyler Lockett, Marcus. <laughs> wow. I, I know it's the Rams and it's Jalen Ramsey, and he, he was held in check against them this year, but I'm still going to take my chances with DK at that price. And then I got Deontay Johnson in, who I continue to say is the Steelers wide receiver one uh, and is going to see big volume against a Brown secondary that has struggled all year. Uh, And then I got John Brown as my third wide receiver at 4,700 because Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs are banged up. I understand they they did return to practice. Cole Beasley is looking a little bit more iffy than – Stephon Diggs, but either way, John Brown is still this team's field stretcher, and we know they're going to take a couple. At least I anticipate them taking a couple deep shots with him. And then I rounded it out with Austin Hooper uh, just because the volume that he had been seeing the last uh, couple of weeks coming into the playoffs. And then my my flex is Gus Edwards. Had to go with a cheaper option after getting in some of those higher-end players, and he has just a nose for the end zone, and I expect the – 
Ravens are going to try to run the ball a lot this weekend and kind of keep it close. And then my defense is the Bucks because I think they have the best matchup going up against the Washington offense in the first week of the playoffs. All right. Um, we have some similarities. A different quarterback. I went with Josh Allen here just because uh, the guy's been so good all year long, and I think he's going to take advantage, even against a good Colts defense. Uh, the fact that that rushing floor is so solid, I'm willing to kind of take the shot on him. He's not the most expensive. I think he's the second most expensive quarterback on the slate, but I was definitely willing to, to kind of pony up and get him in there. With you on Jonathan Taylor, I put him in. It just felt like a great opportunity uh, for him, considering how well he's played in the season. I have Gus Edwards as my second running back here because for all the hype about J.K. Dobbins, Edwards is still hanging around and being he's very explosive and he finds the end zone. And I'm willing to take sort of a shot on that and kind of get him at a value price. My number one wide receiver this week is Terry McLaurin. Um, I think that, you know, for Washington to stay in this game, they're going to have to score a lot of points. And I know their defense is good, but I still see the Bucs being able to move the football and score points. And the football team is going to have to sort of respond in kind. And that means potentially a lot of opportunities for McLaurin. I know he's listed as questionable right now. I'm expecting he'll be able to go. And if he's on the field, they're going to throw the ball in his direction. Um I thought about going Deontay Johnson, but instead, because I went McLaurin, uh, I moved to Juju Smith-Schuster, who, again, this is another one of those talent versus opportunity things for me, right? Like, I think Deontay Johnson on the field is the Steelers' number one wide receiver, but week in and week out, Juju has sort of been the more consistent guy. He's kind of been the the more stabilizing, steady force, especially fantasy-wise, in that offense. So that's why I sort of took him. I did go with John Brown for, for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned as my third wide receiver there, especially because the price was really good. Took Jared Cook as my tight end because the Bears have had their problems with the tight end position all year long. Uh, this feels like a potential nice day for Jared Cook to have there. Marquise Brown is my flex um, as frustrated as I have been with him, you know, I, I am starting to sort of buy into the fact that he's become a little more productive over the back part of the season. And I know some of it has to do with his touchdown dependence. But I mean, look, it's one thing to say a guy's touchdown dependent. But if he continues to score touchdowns, then why not roll the dice on him? That's kind of where I am with uh, with Marquise Brown right now. And then defensively, I took the Seahawks here. Uh, for, for any number of reasons. One, I know the Rams are hoping that Jared Goff is back, but we're talking about a guy who just had surgery on his thumb, who um, has been inconsistent at best this year and is dealing with a thumb injury. Uh, and if not, then it's John Wolford, who, um, I don't know, I feel like the best thing I could say about how he played before was that he looked like a Kyler Murray impersonator when he ran. I mean, they, they have a similar running style with the thing I noticed. I'm like, ah, oh, it looks kind of like Kyler. Um he does not throw the ball nearly as well as Kyler Murray. So uh, so one way or another, I think the Rams have a big question mark at quarterback. And the Seahawks defense, while they were terrible for the first two, you know, two months of the season or so, they seem to kind of figure some things out late in the year. So that was uh, that was where I went with that one. Um, speaking of Cole Beasley, by the way, I haven't listened. You know, he dropped a new a new single. Uh, I haven't heard it. Uh, I see it here, and I, I wish I would have listened to it so like I could have given you a review on this show. Maybe I'll do that, and then uh, we can you know review it for Tuesday's show. But he uh, he tweeted yesterday that he had a new single dropping. I guess it came down at midnight last night. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna listen to it at some point when we're done with this have, show. Have you listened to his past like music? I listened to one song uh, because I think he goes by Bees. I think it's like his rap name which, you know, I get it. So like he, I think he had one called 80 stings 
because you know bees and stings. Oh, and stuff. Okay. right, exactly. Uh, this, was, <laughs> this is when he was still with the Cowboys. That's but that's the only Cole Beasley song I've ever listened to. Um, I'm sort of waiting for the Cole Beasley Darren Waller collab because uh, that would be kind of fun. Maybe I would love to get like all rapping athletes on like one song or. Or have like a bat like NFL versus NBA, even though I think Dame would win. Dame would win, yeah. So it would, it would be fun. You, I mean, you you probably don't remember this. This was geez a lifetime ago for me when I was uh, still doing college radio uh, back in the early. Well, the album was dropped in the early '90s. Uh, by the time I saw it, it was a couple years old. But it was an album called B Ball's Best Kept Secrets, and it was it was just a bunch of NBA players rapping. Um, and it had, you know, like guys who were stars at the time. I mean, Jason Kidd had one. His song was actually kind of awful. Uh, Gary, <laughs> Gary, Gary Payton uh, had one. Uh, uh, Malik Seeley had one. I mean, uh, obviously Shaq, who was, you know, actually rapping at the time. And I think had a couple albums by then. He had a song on there. You may even be able to go on YouTube and still find a couple of songs from it. But it would be interesting to have like the NFL put together something like that. Like, let's make that happen. We should try to make that happen. Um, there's definitely a few. Like, I know there's Beasley. There's Le'Veon Bell. Antonio Brown's rap song was awful. Oh, um, I don't think I heard that. <laughs> I saw the video. Oh. Is that the one where he made the video for? I think. <laughs> and, and it's just like, it's like a two-minute song, and I'm not even exaggerating. I think a minute and, like, 40 seconds of it is just him saying, like, I got a whole lot of money. Just, like, <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> Oh, now I don't have to take that out. That's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> all right. That, so, yeah. So, I'm going to check out the Cole Beasley one. And uh, I don't know if you want to listen to it. We can talk about it on Tuesday's show. That might be interesting. I will. To kind of do that. All right. In the meantime, uh, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, just because nobody complains doesn't mean all parachutes are perfect. Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Wear a mask. And we'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs> You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.